Open up your Bibles this morning to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts today. We're going to continue in our series. We've been in Acts 20 for a few weeks as we've been looking at Paul's final farewell to the Ephesian elders as he met them. Paul knows his time is coming short and he's saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus. Elders is another word for pastor in the New Testament, the pastors of Ephesus. Let's pray first and ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Father, open up our hearts to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I would proclaim truth and um, exactly what this text means. Sanctify your people according to it as you have promised and are doing a great work in all of us to the praise of your glory. Help us now, Lord, to know the truth, to love the truth, and to fight for the truth. In your name, amen. Last week, we looked at verse 28. Verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Paul is telling this to the pastors here in Ephesus, the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul told these elders, first of all, if you're going to be a faithful shepherd, you need to take care of yourself first. Before you prepare your sermon, prepare your heart. Make sure your lives are good. Be on guard. This is what this word means, to pay careful attention. Is to be on guard, is to be in a state of alert about your own heart and your own life. And also, not only yourself, but also the flock. This is God's people. God's people are known as sheep. And we follow a shepherd. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. But underneath Christ, he, in this world, has given through his Holy Spirit under shepherds, pastors, to watch over his people and to guide them in truth. This is who elders are. They're under shepherds underneath the authority of the Lord Jesus. We answer to him. God has given the church to their watch. And it is precious, we saw. And so, because the church is precious, because of the price that has been paid for her, Oh, elders, you better be on the lookout for yourself and them. Paul continues in verse 29, and he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Remember, this is his farewell address. Think of something you would tell people The most important things you'd want them to know because you're never going to see them again. This is what Paul's doing here throughout these several verses here. He says, after I'm gone, I know that there will be fierce wolves that come in. He's already used the analogy of the church being like a flock of sheep. So the the metaphor of wolves coming in to prey on sheep is fitting. And so the elders are like shepherds who are to protect God's people from fierce wolves. 
Because when these wolves come in, they will not show mercy. They will not spare the flock or the people. Wolves come in and they only think of one thing, to satisfy their hunger, right? That's how, what a wolf is by nature. He's a predator. He's a carnivore. He's sheep. That's dinner. Let me go feed on them for my own benefit. This is what wolves are. And this is what Paul was warning the elders to be on the lookout. When I leave, I'm telling you that it will happen. There are people who are going to come in here who have different motives, who have different teaching. They're going to come in here and tear this church apart. And so you must be on guard. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has purchased them with his own blood. They are precious and you must guard them. Jesus warned the same thing to the people he preached to on the Sermon on the Mount. He uses the same analogy. And Jesus is referring to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day. But Jesus says this, and this is probably where Paul gets it from. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells, says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Who is a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks for God. In the Old Testament, a prophet is someone who received the message from God, and then he goes to the people and says, this is what God said. This is why the prophets in the Old Testament often began their sermons by saying what? Thus says the Lord, right? This is not my words that I'm telling you. Thus says the Lord. That's what a prophet is. He hears the message from God. He gives it to the people. He's not preaching his word. He's preaching the word of God. And so what is a false prophet? A false prophet is someone who, who says they speak for God, but, don't, but doesn't. It's a person who says things that God doesn't say or twists things that God has said and confuses and conflicts the people. The first false prophet was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And the devil plays by the same playbook. The devil loves to twist and manipulate the word of God. He loves to cast doubt on what God has said. This is why he tells Eve in the garden, did God really say that you can't do that? He's casting doubt. Satan is the original false prophet. That's why Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. And Satan has used people to twist God's word and to say things that God never said so that they can advance their own agendas. This is what happens here repeatedly in the scriptures. And Jesus is warning here that false prophets are coming in and they look like sheep. They look like you. But inside, their motives are evil. They want to tear you up. They're going to 
tell you things that God never said. This happened throughout Israel's history. The, the, these leaders of Israel in the Old Testament led the nations to their destruction as they spoke for God. And God did not say that. They said, thus says the Lord. And they were lying. And for that, God judged them and the nation. And so Jesus says, beware of false prophets. They're coming to you like ravenous wolves. And Paul uses this same metaphor. Well, how can you tell who, the, who, who these false prophets are? Well, Jesus says in verse 16 of Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What Jesus is saying? Eventually the evidence will come out. Their, their fruit of their life, you will see that they were a fraud from the beginning because their life does not back their message. And also, their message does not back what God has already declared and decreed. See, here's the thing that you know. You can know how to spot a false prophet. If he brings contradiction to something God has said, right, or a false teacher, if they're up there saying, the Bible says this, and you know the Bible doesn't say that. And, and you're saying, well, and some people even say, well, this is a new day, and God has created a, a new message for me to tell you. And I know what the Bible says, but this is what God told me today. No. You tell them Bologna. That's my way of saying baloney. That's how you, anyway, it's okay. Uh, Baloney never made sense the way it was spelled, so I just, okay. Um, where was I? Um, the truth always comes out in the end. If you give a wolf dressed up as a sheep enough time, he will show himself to be a wolf. False teachers will also always show themselves to be false teachers. And I can't tell you the men who have been influential in evangelical life and circles over the last 20, 30, 40 years that you thought were solid, and then they start teaching something crazy. And they're like, what happened to this person? Well, they were a wolf dressed up as a sheep. When a pastor starts saying things that God never said, there's your fruit. When a pastor starts rebelling against God's commands, there's your fruit. The truth will always come out. And Paul says that they don't care about the sheep. They have no vested interest in them. They only care about themselves. This is why you have all these televangelists flying private jets and staying in mansions and craziness and telling them that God has blessed them and this is okay to have and they're just fleecing their people send me more money send me more money they're not they don't care about the people they care about their own pocketbooks they care about their own wallets these are wolves in sheep's clothing 
Paul says, they're coming. They're coming. A hungry wolf will come to feed on the sheep. And so will a false teacher. So will a false teacher. So where do we find these false teachers? Well, Paul warns them. Look at back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 30. He tells these Ephesian elders, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So you not only have to be on the lookout outside the sheepfold, outside the sheep pen, because, yeah, the wolves come from out there. But Paul is giving a warning to these elders. Even some of you elders will turn against the truth. And you will start teaching twisted things to God's people that are not true. Beware, which is why he says in the verse earlier, why? Pay careful attention to who? Yourself. Keep yourself in line with the scriptures. Keep yourselves in line with the things I've taught you, Paul said. Do not veer from the truth. God doesn't change. The truth doesn't change. If someone comes up with new, something, some new doctrine, it's not new. It's just an old lie from the garden, casting doubt on what God has said. We've seen this repeatedly. Now, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon cult, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, was a treasure hunter. That's what he was by trade. He's a con artist going from town to town, hunting treasure and putting on shows. One day, he says he has a vision that God told him that all the churches are corrupt and to start his own church. And that the Bible is not enough. And so there's some golden tablets buried in the field that he must unearth and find and translate. And that's where the Book of Mormon comes from. Again, false teachers are not new, but they always have the same playbook. Well, this is what people have believed forever, but let me show you something new that God told me. Now, if it's not in here, then don't tell me, because God hasn't said it. Everything God has said is here. This is God's final and complete and authoritative and sufficient word. If it's not in line with this, then don't waste my time. And so, they're coming in, tw- teaching twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And Paul was right. It happened. It happened in Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to young Timothy, who was a, who was a young preacher and one of, Paul's, uh, men, uh, one of the men that Paul was mentoring for ministry. And Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus to check up on them. And this is what he writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Same place he's warning these elders. So that you may charge certain persons... Not to teach any different doctrine. See what's happening. And he is sending Timothy to reinforce what he had told them and to spot these frauds out or to correct these wayward elders 
out and to bring them to repentance. He says that they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship of God that is by faith. They get mixed up in all these little minutia details and things that don't matter and that don't make sense. And they're driving a wedge into church. And driving Timothy, you go there and put a stop to it. The battle for sound doctrine is a constant one. It always has been. This is why the Reformation needed to happen. The Reformers had to fight against the wickedness and the false doctrine of the Catholic Church. They wanted to reform the church, not to start a new one. They wanted to bring health back and bring them back to the Bible and know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. They, they were seeking for reformation because the church had gone off track. The fight for sound doctrine is even more difficult today. I mean, the people in Ephesus didn't have the internet. They didn't have the TV. They didn't have periodicals and magazines that would come out and influence the church and all these kind of crazy stuff. It's constant today. And Christians today are being discipled by all sorts of people and organizations. You may not know that, but you are always being discipled. Turn on the TV, you're being discipled. You're learning, you're training yourself to follow an idea or an ideology or, or something. You browse Facebook and around all the funny cat memes and stuff like that and videos, that there's some crazy stuff that is meant there to train your brain a certain way, to think a certain way. Turn on the news media and they program you. Did you know that? They program you to think a certain way. Televangelists. Just about every TV preacher is crooked. And not all of them, but most of them. Popular celebrity pastors. In two seconds, you could download a Kindle book and read all sorts of garbage. The fight for sound doctrine is even more difficult today than ever because this garbage is everywhere. At least back then, the shepherd could look at the sheepfold and look at the sheep pen and could spot a, a wolf who's come. Now it's like in there and the sheep have cell phones in their pockets uh, and yeah we need to keep battling we need to keep the purity of truth among us because there are evil people who out there, who are out there if you want to be healed of your cancer just send me 1995 and i'll send you a, a hanky filled with my sweat so that you could be healed you think I'm making this up? It's out there. I mean, we don't really have cable TV. We don't have cable TV now. But when I did, I would watch this stuff for entertainment. And Lori would get mad at me. And she would say, can you just shut that off? You know, I, I would sit there and, anyway. Um, to watch these guys do their thing. Yes. Um, Timothy, later on in chapter 1, even... Paul has to call out certain people at the church of Ephesus. And he says this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. I love that. Wage the good warfare. This is a fight. 
This is a war over truth. Satan has been attacking truth since the beginning. Timothy, fight the good fight. Wage a good warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And he's speaking of those in Ephesus who had gone astray. Among them, look at verse 20, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. How would you like to have your name in Holy Scripture for the rest of the world for eternity to hear? Hymenaeus and Alexander, two men in the church of Ephesus that made a shipwreck of their faith. What does that mean? They started to believe some garbage. And Paul was not going to have it. And he disciplined them. That's what it means to hand them over to Satan. It's, if you're going to live like an unbeliever, then I'm going to treat you as an unbeliever. That's the doctrine of church discipline, which we definitely need to cover and get and talk about in time. And so Hymenaeus and Alexander made a shipwreck of their faith. Why? They weren't keeping the truth centered in their minds. They allowed other people to influence them, and it wrecked them. An elder or a pastor who isn't willing to contend or fight for sound doctrine shouldn't be a pastor. In fact, this is non-negotiable. This is not negotiable for someone who's going to be an elder or a pastor. I, I, I know some pastors that are... Yeah, well, the world is watching, and you know we can't be fighting, and we can't be disagreeing about this stuff, and you know we can't. We got to be nice to one another. We're supposed to be boohoo. People's feelings are more important than the truth. Some of this stuff is leading people straight to the pits of hell. Who cares about nice feelings? We must fight for the truth. We must be willing to wage a good warfare because truth matters. This is how Christ is cleaning his bride by the washing of water by the word, not false doctrine, right? Not by false doctrine. Uh, Paul didn't care about Hymenaeus and Alexander's feelings when he handed them over to Satan so they may learn not to blaspheme. What kind of shepherd? What kind of shepherd leads leaves the sheep unprepared? A bad one. I mean, you need to quit your job as a shepherd out in the fields if you're not feeding or leading or cleaning them or keeping them safe. What kind of shepherd doesn't warn the sheep when danger is near? A bad one. A bad one. What kind of shepherd leads, lets the sheep eat something that's going to make them sick? A bad one. A bad one. John Calvin says this, and look at this quote on the screen. The pastor ought to have two voices. One for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The scripture supplies them with the means of doing both. I love that. Two voices, one for gathering the sheep 
and the other one for warding off and driving away wolves. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, preached this. And he encouraged the church that it was not just the job of elders to protect the people from false doctrine, but also that of the church, and that the people should hold the elders accountable to make sure that they're still preaching truth. This is what Spurgeon says. Oh, if some of you were like your fathers, you would have not tolerated in this age the wagon loads of trash under which the gospel has been of late buried by ministers of your own choosing. In Spurgeon's day, there was this downgrade controversy that Spurgeon was fighting against, this downgrade in the church of sound doctrine. And he's scolding the people, saying, if you would have just been like your fathers, they didn't put up with this. But now that you've put up with this, look what we have in our world. He says, you would have hurled out of your pulpits the men who are the enemies to the fundamental doctrines of your churches and yet are crafty enough to become your pastors and undermine the faith of a fickle and superficial generation. I cannot endure false doctrine, however neatly it may be put before me. Would you have me eat poisoned meat because the dish is of the choicest ware? It makes me indignant when I hear another gospel put before the people with enticing words by men who would fain make merchandise of souls. And I marvel at those who have soft words for such deceivers. Oh, may we be as bold as Spurgeon. And it continued to happen. It happened all over Asia Minor. In fact, this is a charge and a qualification for an elder, for a pastor, to fight for the truth, to protect the sheep. This is what Paul tells Titus as well. Titus, another son in the faith for Paul. Another one who has been charged to take care of this. Paul sent Titus to the island of Crete. And this is what he tells Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now go to verse 9. Now verses 6 through 8 are important, but not for the context of what we're talking about. It's the qualifications of a pastor, which we saw last week too. But look at verse 9. He, this elder that you're appointing, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. An elder is someone who's not only supposed to teach what is true, but is also supposed to call out what is untrue, to call out what is unhealthy. This is part of the qualifications of what a pastor ought to be. And in that day, in Crete, verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Shut them up. Shut them up. That's what Paul tells to Titus. They must be silenced. Do you think Paul cares what the world thought? They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for what? Shameful gain. 
what they ought not to teach. You mean preachers and evangelists making a living off of fleecing people and living luxurious lifestyles isn't new? Oh, no. It isn't new at all. It's been happening for a long, long time. Paul fought against this in the first century. And yet we're dealing with it here today in 2022. So, elders, look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 20. Therefore, be alert. Therefore, be alert, remembering for three years that I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. What did Paul do for three years when he was in Ephesus? He taught sound doctrine and he warned the false teachers. He cared for the purity of the church. I read this scripture, of course, preparing for my sermon this week. And from time to time, I've mentioned false teachers from this pulpit. If you follow me on social media, you'll see it there too. We've written other things as well to warn you of certain people or ministries or ideas that are harmful to the church. Uh, in preparation for today's sermon, I've cre- I decided to create a, a chart full of influential false teachers in our world today. Uh, and you could pick one up in the Welcome Center table out there by the window. Uh, Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, Benny Hinn, Rob Bell, Kenneth Copeland, among many, many others. And why I'm telling you to avoid them and why their teaching is heresy. Pick it up, be informed. And don't say I didn't warn you. This is why Paul says, be alert. Be alert. I didn't stop for three years warning everyone and admonishing them with tears. Oh, Paul says, I've given you the whole counsel of God. I've done it. Now you, Ephesian elders, must do the same after I'm gone. Because when I'm gone, they're coming. They're coming. And look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God. (laughs) That's Paul saying, guys, I've done everything I can for you. I've warned you. I've taught you. I've prayed for you. And now I commend you to God. I'm giving you over to God. And to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He is saying, elders, you cannot do this alone. I'm giving you to God because it is in the power of God by the word of his grace that you will have the strength and the wisdom to do this so that you can build others up and you can see the fruit of holiness not only in your own life but in also theirs as well. I'm giving you over to God. God's going to have to do this. God's going to have to do this. And what is the answer to combating these false teachers? Like, how do we stop this? Well, we can't stop false teachers. They're coming. The evil one has been working from the beginning. And he continues to work to twist the scriptures 
and to use the hearts of depraved men and women for their own shameful gain. However, the way as that I can prepare you as your pastor is the way that you know what is counterfeit. The best way to know what is counterfeit is to know the real thing through and through. That's how you know what is a fraud and what's fake. What is true? What is accurate? What is genuine? What does that look like? Study it. Memorize it. So that when you see something that is not true, you could say very plainly and clearly, that is not in line with what the scriptures teach. That's my job as your pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to labor for your sanctification and for your growth in holiness. And the only, this is, by the way, this is why I write those books. If you think I write those books a lot of, to make a lot of money, you should see, first of all, I don't make any money from those. We do have them on Amazon, but if you see the, uh, what is that called when the 1099 that I get from Amazon at the end of the year, it's about enough to buy maybe three drinks at Starbucks. Why do I write those things? It's not very profitable. Why do I write them? I write them for your edification. I write them for your sanctification, for your discipleship. It's another way that I can get you in the word. That's why I do that. That's why I do that. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, after he's talking about how the world has gone mad, the best way to stop false teachers is to prepare God's people with the truth. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, that's I command you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Give them the truth. By the way, this is why we preach verse by verse by verse in here, right? I, I don't think up of clever and crafty sermons and topics and let me see what's going to best make the 40 minutes go by as quickly as possible. I'm, we're going through whole books of the Bible, word by word, phrase by phrase. The sermons are filled, hopefully you will see, with Scripture, why? Because I am passionate about giving you this word. I'm passionate about for you knowing it. And we see cross-references and we go here and there. I am proclaiming to you because I will have to stand before God and give an account to how I've done this. How I've stewarded this time and this uh, uh, responsibility up here Sunday after Sunday. Preach the word. Timothy, be, in, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why, Timothy? Listen to this. For the, why must you preach the word? For the time is coming. And I would say it's already here. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Probably three of the greatest preachers and teachers of our Christian history were chased out, threatened with their lives, and fired by their churches. 
Martin Luther. Of course, excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Why? They didn't want to hear the truth. John Calvin was kicked out of Geneva, Switzerland, fled to France for his life, preaching the truth. Funny story, he returned several years later, and his next sermon he preached was the last, the next verse that he left off of years ago. <laughs> Just preach the next verse. Preach the next verse. And Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest American intellectual who has ever lived, Jonathan Edwards, the great New England preacher, part of the Second Great Awakening, who preached one of the greatest sermons that has ever been preached on American soil, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was fired by his church. Can you imagine being in the church that fired Jonathan Edwards? Crazy. Why? Because people do not want to endure sound doctrine. But they will get for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. Don't tell me the truth. Just tell me what I want to hear. But this is how you must combat the false teachers. Give people the truth so that they will know what's true and what's not. Let me give you some good news about Ephesus. Even though these attacks came, the church did well. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Jesus tells John to write a letter to the church of Ephesus. And this is what he tells them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, that's the pastor, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. How you cannot, listen, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary. Jesus tells John to tell the church in Ephesus that you did a good job of kicking out the false teachers. Why is that? Because Paul charged the Ephesian elders to be on guard, to fight the good faith, to wage the good warfare so that the Chief shepherd later writes to the church in Ephesus saying, you've done a good job. But even in spite of all that, he did some, have something to say against them, didn't, didn't he? In Ephesians 2, 4, but I have this against you, Jesus says to them, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. They did a good job of fighting the good fight. However, in the process, they left their first love. We don't know what the details of that involved, but let me just encourage you. It could be so Important to wage the good fight that you lose your heart in the process. Keep your eyes on the main thing, on Christ. On Christ. Well, 
I've got lots more to go, but our time is done. We'll continue this next week, but let's wrap things up as we go to the Lord's table. What do we do with this passage? You may not be an elder or a pastor, but you have a responsibility to seek after truth and sound doctrine. What you listen to and who you listen to matters. Reject and rebuke the false teachers. The more you know the truth, the quicker you will be able to spot the error. A pastor's job is to preach the word. If that is the case, then your job is to receive the word, to read the word, and to study the word. And be careful, because it's possible to do this so well that, and I remind myself of this often, you get so wrapped up about what is false that it's possible to leave your first love, make it an idol. That's what happened in Ephesus. Don't be so in love with controversy, whether it be political or doctrinal, that it takes the place of Christ. That's idolatry. And if anything ever happens to me, or the Lord removes me from being your pastor, I pray that the next guy that comes in, that you're able to know who is best to shepherd you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this charge and responsibility to wage a good warfare. Father, help us to protect your people here from error and false teaching. Help us to be vigilant, to be wise, to not be deceived to know the truth so well that we could spot the error as soon as we see it. Keep us pure. Help us to keep our love for you supreme. More than we love calling out those who are wicked, help us to love you more. May we never lose our love for you. Father, sanctify your people according to your word. Your word is truth. Now help us as we remember you, as we confess our sins and remember the gospel. Help us, Lord, to know this. Search our hearts. Examine our hearts. To remember Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.